How does one become a great leader? It's a great question. And we're going to talk about that today on the Productive Not Busy podcast. So what does it mean to be a great leader? Not everyone agrees on the same leadership strategy, but most people can recognize a good leader when they see one. I was reading the book on John Quincy Adams. It said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you are a leader. You're listening to the Productive Not Busy Podcast, where our mission is to make you more money so you'll have less stress and more free time. It's all about mindset, attitude, and taking action. And your host, Wayne Weathersby, knows how to make that happen. He's negotiated and closed over $150 million in contracts while building businesses with proven success strategies that he wants to share with you. So if you're ready to make some real money, then let's get to it. Here's Coach Wayne. So in essence, a leader is good at seeing the potential in people and pulling out the best in them. There's not one cookie-cutter idea of leadership, and people with different personalities can be exceptional leaders. So in this episode, we'll take a look at different goals for leadership. How to communicate. How to communicate effectively. Tips for leading and so, so much more that I think you'll find helpful. Whether you've been leading for a long time or you found yourself in a fresh new leadership position, this podcast, this episode has something for you. So what are your goals as a leader? What is your goal for leadership? Are you a CEO of a company trying to increase production? Are you a leader of a movement hoping to inspire people to follow you and whatever, the changing world. Often, we think about leading. We think about managers or bosses at companies. And this is certainly a major leadership role for sure. But leading also happens in the home with parents, raising children. Leadership is a central part of religion, religious organizations, government, social justice movements, team, sports, the military, education, group projects, nonprofits. Leadership positions are everywhere. And you may be a leader without even knowing it. As you begin thinking to yourself in a maybe in a leadership position, ask yourself, what is my goal? And you got to ask yourself, what is the point of a leader? Why do I want to be a leader? Or why am I in a leader position in the first place? So to get your gears working, here are some potential goals of leadership in any type of activity or organization. Number one, profit. One possible goal of leadership is to achieve higher profit margins and the success of a company. So leaders in this field might be like 
uh, Reed Hastings. He's the CEO of um, Netflix or Larry Page, co-founder of Google, Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon. Inspiration and empowerment. Another goal would be to inspire people to do better and be better or to achieve something that they didn't think possible. Empowerment shows people they can improve their situation by changing the way they do things or the way they see the world. Inspirational leaders might be like Abraham Lincoln, Eleanor Roosevelt, Oprah Winfrey, Martin Luther King. Achieve greatness. Another goal of a leadership is to do something, to achieve something. It doesn't have to be in a business setting. It could be in a community service project. A town play, fundraiser, political movements, to win a sports team championship, or just the greatness of a nation. Next, it's probably to raise awareness. Sometimes a leader's goal is to raise awareness about something. It could be a social justice issue or raising awareness about a disease people are unaware of. Be a visionary. That's the next one. Leaders are often able to see possibilities that other people cannot see. They're visionaries, and their ideas are able to improve the world around them. They often lead people to bring their ideas to fruition also. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Henry Ford. Steve Jobs said it, great things in business are never done by one person. They're done by a team of people. So leaders in communication, how do you become a great leader? Got to be a great communicator. Communication is one of the foundations of good leadership. That doesn't always come naturally to everybody. Many leaders are swamped with work, overloaded with thoughts, and often don't realize that they're not effectively communicating with their team, their thoughts to those that they're leading. According to one survey, one study that I read on leadership, when employees were asked if they thought their bosses were good communicators, 91% of them said they were not. That's freaking staggering. But how do you communicate effectively as a leader? What kind of communication skills do so many leaders lack? Whether you're coaching a team, leading a social movement, running a company, leading your family, communication with your team is paramount. Here are some effective communication skills that you can use starting today. Here's my favorite. And anybody that knows me or is coached by me or in my circle knows this is my number one. Be clear about expectations. One of the first rules of communication is clear expectations. This is true in any relationship. Whether it be a boss to an employee, a parent to a child, or one spouse to another, Everyone has expectations, but we can't be angry or upset when someone doesn't anticipate what they are without communicating them and setting them up front. If you're leading an organization, make it very, very clear what you want. If you want your employees or your followers to do something, tell them what it is. Send an email, call a meeting, record a video, create a checklist, and then get out of the way. And let them do their job. Don't micromanage. You listen first, and then you speak. 
So after expectations, guess what? Listen to learn, not to respond. People feel better when they've been heard. Communication isn't about speaking. It's also about listening. If you're a boss of a company, there is a good chance your employees know a lot about their position. They may even know things that you don't. What? The same is true of any type of formal organization, whether it be religious, nonprofit, or governmental. If leadership isn't listening to the people involved in the actual work, they're losing essential information. So as a leader, you can't always wait for someone to come talk to you. Not everyone is comfortable bringing up issues, especially when they're personal in nature. They may feel that it won't make a difference anyway. Or they might think that they will be chastised or made fun of or not listened to. So create a place where people can feel comfortable talking to you. Whether they want to share concerns or excitement about a goal that they achieved, a win, a loss, something. Set aside any distractions. It's part of listening is giving your full attention. As a leader, you're easily distracted by calls, notifications, text message, other thoughts in your mind. Most people can tell when someone isn't really listening to them. So do your best to give your followers your undivided attention. Ask follow-up questions when they're telling you something. Maybe set your phone and other devices aside and commit to listening for the duration of the conversation. You might be surprised at the positive effect you'll receive from truly putting off distractions and listening. Next, you got to be sincere. People are actually good at spotting insincerity. Out of politeness, most people won't say anything when they think, that you're being disingenuous. But they can certainly feel it. Avoid trying to be someone you're not or casting an image that isn't you. That freaking kills me. Others respond much better to authenticity than they do to jargon or some bullshit facade that you're putting up. Be real and treat them like people. If you're not naturally an authoritative person, don't pretend to be one. It's a killer and you look stupid. Find a way to communicate what comes naturally to you. So find a way to communicate that comes natural. Because when it's natural, it's genuine. You got to use different mediums. That's number five. When you're conveying an idea, it's helpful to remember that other people respond to different things different ways. For example, some people can listen to an idea and act on it right then. Bam, done. But others may need more visual cues to help them fully grasp something. That's why it's beneficial to use graphics, videos, and images to help describe ideas or expectations. It can also help to use stories to communicate. People can remember stories better than they can remember raw facts or details. It's a good way to personalize a message and make it kind of more impactful. Leaders are storytellers. All great organizations are born from a compelling story. The central organizing, organizing of thoughts, 
and help people understand what they stand for and why. So, leadership and millennials. Leadership today may not look the same as it did years ago, specifically when you're talking about the current workplace. During most of the 20th century, people would clock in and clock out with the majority of the workforce working from nine to five. The boss might spend most of their day trying to motivate a workforce in a factory or setting in a sales or training office. Right? Today with the pandemic and advanced technology, the workplace is less like the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. People are now working remotely. And they're also connected through social media, email, messaging, tablets, cell phones, computers, blah, blah, blah. So as baby boomers start to retire, Gen X and millennials make up majority of the workforce. In fact, according, I did some research, according to a Pew, the Pew research, and this was in 2016, I think, millennials made up more than one third of the entire workforce. <clears throat> Through Gen X, having grown up in a time before the internet and a constant digital connection, they may fall into more traditional style of work. Millennials, far different. Often these younger people are stereotyped as entitled or lazy or lacking loyalty. The truth is, many of them are very hardworking and resourceful. They have the ability to deeply focus on a project and provide quick results. They also spend large amounts of money and lots of amounts of time researching and developing new ideas and finding faster ways to accomplish stuff. It's not uncommon for those to use their personal downtime to check in on the company's social media or respond to emails or work online or in person. Many millennials are entering the workforce, hope to make a difference in the world. It isn't simply a matter of making money, but also about making a positive change for the most part. Millennials tend to be a little bit more idealistic in nature. They want to find fulfillment in their work, whether that means producing something they're proud of or helping others. They want their work to be meaningful. That being said, they also have a different expectation from their jobs and their leadership. This difference can sometimes lead to conflict between bosses and employee when they have different ideas about the job and how it should look. So if you're finding yourself in a leadership role over millennials, you may be in, a, in sync with them or you may feel out of your element. You're going to have to adjust. Lower some of the tips, in my opinion, on how to help navigate the waters of leadership with a unique generation like that. You almost have to embrace this work remotely when possible. The majority of millennials know how to use technology and how to use it well. Instead of communicating to office space or com commuting to office space, most prefer to work from home, actually. Uh, y Pulse did a survey recently about millennial, millennials in the workplace and the survey found that 68 percent of 18 to 34 year olds believe they would enjoy a job more if it allowed them to work from home or remotely 
Not every job is conducive to work remote, though, and not every millennial would prefer that. But many like the option of working remotely, or at least part of their work schedule remotely. So maybe try working out a, a flexible work schedule. Although a traditional nine to five schedule can be beneficial, today's connected world, a flexible work schedule is feasible for sure. For many millennials, this is very, very important. They value the work-life balance. They want time to be able to travel and spend quality time with their family. When they're able to flex their schedules, they can go running in the morning, visit their child's school, or go to an event, or schedule a doctor's appointment or haircut without scheduling time off. Many of them are task-oriented also. The gig economy is huge and full of millennials. To millennials, the advantages are obvious. You can make your own schedule, work when you're able to, get paid when you produce. No one is forced to sit in a cubicle when there's no immediate work that needs to be done. You give each one a task as given as much or as little time as needed to finish. Gig jobs have their disadvantages as well, since they don't provide the security or additional benefits like health insurance that you might find with a full-time position. Still, businesses can learn from this concept by understanding that many millennials are more focused on completing a task than clocking a specific number of hours. Lead, don't manage. There's a difference. Although one could argue it's just parallel, many millennials make a distinction between management and leadership. Actually, everybody does. It's not just the millennials. Do I have a leader or do I have a manager? It's different. There was a study in a Harvard Business Review article from 2017, I think. It was called, Do Managers and Leaders Really Do Different Things? The author, John O'Leary, pulls apart the definition of these two ideas. He interviewed eight leaders to ask them what they thought was the difference between management and leadership. So the interviewees agreed that there was a difference and that the difference was significant. O'Leary noticed that the people, when they talked about management, they talked about the behavior of the manager and that perhaps even more to the point, they noted that managers were focused inward they said managers worked on gaining trust, being accountable, being optimistic, being visible, and providing recognition and reward. Leadership, on the other hand, was more outward focused. When describing leaders, people tended to talk about their character. They described leadership behaviors focused on the staff. Trust people, engage people, motivate and encourage. The author concluded that the end results may be very similar and that leadership and management both achieve goals and have daily tasks. However, a manager will focus on results while a leader will focus on people. The argument is if people's needs and self-worth are being met, they will be more productive. People aren't just parts of a machine. They're living, breathing 
have feelings, values, personal lives. A leader will give a genuine interest in the well-being of their employees and be willing and ready to listen to their concerns and also their ideas. Give them a reason to care. In my opinion, the distinction of leadership for millennials is their core motivation. Majority of millennials want to feel like they're contributing to society in some positive way. They believe that social values are an important part of the workplace. They're not just going to work for a paycheck. They also want to make their environment better. Another part of that Harvard Business Review article was entitled Mentoring Millennials. The author noted millennials view work as a key part of life, not a separate activity that needs to be balanced for, which I thought was interesting. For that reason, they placed a strong emphasis on finding work that's personally fulfilling. He went on to say, they, the millennials, want work to afford them the opportunity to make new friends, learn new skills, connect with larger purpose, that sense of purpose is a key factor in their job satisfaction. According to my research, they're the most socially conscious generation since the 60s, really. This is why the distinction between leadership and management is so important. Many millennials find more value in being part of a team, helping others in the world and their communities, being fulfilled by their work than they do in making more money or meeting the bottom line. That's why many businesses start by millennials also have a social element to them, such as donating a certain amount of their profits. It's part of an important part of what they do. It's not to say that millennials don't care about money. They do want to be compensated fairly, of course, for their work and are more likely to become discouraged when they're not paid accordingly. However, they're often motivated more by a sense of purpose and personal fulfillment. Good leader will tap into the senses and of the purpose and not focus solely on quotas. So I'm gonna give you some general leadership tips. Been in management, leadership, entrepreneur, started multi-million dollar businesses over the last 30 years. I've seen it. So what have some of the most effective strategies been for leaders that I've seen? How can you get people to perform, stay committed, work hard, inspire them and be greater? There's no one size fits all when it comes to leading others, but there are some things that can help you be a better leader. And I'm going to give you some of these tips right now. Make people feel appreciated. Often entrepreneurs, business owners believe employees are motivated primarily by compensation. It's true that people are paid poorly or often dissatisfied at work, which leads to higher turnover rates, right? But an employee's morale does not rest solely in their pay scale. If the job situation is terrible, but the pay is good, there's a good chance they'll be looking for a new job. Look at these sports players. They're making $30 million a year and want to renegotiate their contract. There's something going on. But then you have another player that's making $30 million that'll take a pay cut in order to bring on other parts that'll help them win. That environment's probably pretty good. What about those who volunteer? People willingly volunteer their time with no compensation at all. What motivates a person to work for free? People are not all motivated by the same thing. 
There's another study out there, the social brain and reward, social information processing in the humans. Gain some insight into the way the brain reacts to praise. The abstract explains in the highly social life of human beings, rewards are often sought and experienced are intertwined with social relationships and interactions between people. Just as we value non-social rewards such as food or money, we also value social outcomes, praise from a boss or superior. That study also concludes that people get a neural boost when they get a social reward, such as praise or recognition. People want to feel like their work is meaningful and that they're appreciated for doing it. Compensation can show this appreciation, especially when it's unexpected. But appreciation can also come through words and recognition by peers and supervisors, leaders, managers, owners. So think about these ideas for a way to recognize those that you're leading. Here's an old school one that nobody does anymore. Write a thank you note. It's old school, but still appreciated. It can also come in from a form of an email, simply thanking someone for something that they always do well or something they did up and above and beyond. Handwritten is pretty badass, though. Speak words of affirmation. This is another easy way to make people feel like they're getting noticed for their efforts. If you notice someone doing something well, tell them. People are often inundated with all these things that they're doing wrong. So make it a point to tell them when they're doing right. Give somebody a token of gratitude. Buying your workers or volunteers a lunch or providing them a snack or giving them a small gift card. It's a great way to show them appreciation. It goes a long way. And if you're going to have social media, people, lives teeter on social media, likes and comments and all that nonsense. Praise them on social media. Write a post on social media telling the world how much you value that employee or that volunteer. It goes a long way. Host an event. Celebrate at the end of the year for an award ceremony, something along that lines, and shows that the people that you lead, that you care about them and their well-being. It's also a time to get to know them better in a different social setting. People like to get recognized for the unique qualities as well. It's, a, it's honestly a mistake to think that every employee, volunteer, or follower is motivated by the same thing. Mike Chichesky, the Duke basketball coach, in his book said, each group and each youngster is different. As a leader or a coach, you get to know what they need. A good leader will get to know those they lead on an individual basis. They will take the time to know something about their personal lives and also to understand what makes them tick. You may have a worker or an employer or volunteer who doesn't like to be in the spotlight and would hate the public recognition. Another one would feel valued when they receive a public reward or an announcement. Some people need daily affirmations, so they know that they're performing well. That's okay, too. Others would prefer only to hear from their superiors when there's a problem. So as a leader, it's your job to find out what will encourage or discourage someone. 
something that's important to me and that I preach a lot is have good character, be a good character. One of the most famous things uh, that Martin Luther King said is we shall have to create leaders who embody virtues we can respect, who have moral and ethical principles that we can applaud with an enthusiasm that enables us to rally support for them based on confidence and trust. We'll have to demand high standards and give consistent loyal support to those who merit it. That's pretty badass. One of the main aspects of being a leader is having good character. People have high expectations for the people leading them, rightfully so. They want to be able to trust them. They want to know they're taking leadership from someone who is worthy. If an employee can't trust the character of their boss, or a player can't trust the integrity of their coach, the entire system falls apart. If you're aspiring to leadership, ensure that you're a good character person, that you're trustworthy, that you're ethical in your dealings with employees, volunteers, clients, vendors, and in your personal life. This is where humility comes in. Humility is an asset. Leaders have to be confident in their decisions, but this can all sometimes be confused with an arrogant or inflexible attitude. So a good leader is willing to listen to others, admit mistakes and change course when it makes sense. There's a book by Dr. Robert Hogan. It's called Forget Charisma, Look for Humility in a Leader. He writes, charisma is a very attractive characteristic in a leadership. Yet, when promoted, these individuals create chaos and ruin most of their organizations. Humility, rather, is much better indicator of leadership success, not charisma. He also goes on to say, whereas charisma or a charismatic leader tend to focus on personal advancement. Humble leaders tend to focus on team performance and guiding their employees. Effective leaders are more modest. They're willing to admit mistakes, share credit, and learn from others. Higher levels of humility also lead to higher rates of employee engagement, more job satisfaction, and lower rates of turnover. So to be clear, humility does not imply the absence of ego or ambition. Rather, Humble leaders are better able to channel their ambition back into the organization rather than reflecting it back on themselves for personal gain. Charisma, fortitude, whatever you want to call it, strong vision are some of the common traits associated with leadership. But without humility, these qualities can become destructive and a weakness. So you got to learn and improve. Effective leaders are willing to learn and improve. These, this means reading, asking questions, going to seminars, regularly having conversations with the other leaders. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Everyone has weaknesses, but these areas can be strengthened by education and willingness to learn. Improvements can also be made by regular self-assessment, encouraging feedback from, from your employees, clients, friends, and family. Be willing to take it. If you can't dish, you know, if you can't take it, don't dish it. Delegating. Delegate when you can. Delegating can be the hardest part of leading, but also one of the most necessary. Don't give somebody a job and then micromanage them. 
delegate it. That's what they're there for, leverage. Practically speaking, a leader can't handle all of the roles by themselves, right? You can't open a cafe, be the dishwasher, cashier, janitor, hostess, waiter. Can't do it all. If this were the case, they wouldn't have to have anyone. They wouldn't have anybody to lead. They just run everything solo. For many leaders, personalities, it can be very hard to forfeit control over the individual job. That sucks. That's a killer every time. This tendency would even be even more acute for a small business owner who started the business running everything by themselves before adding some new employees. They wait too long to leverage or they try to micromanage. This tendency is like a ticking time bomb, I'm telling you. How can you organize, thrive when one, the one in charge is trying to do the job of 50 people? It's impossible. They're abandoning their true title in order to micromanage every detail. Not only that, they're not empowering the employees to show that they can be successful. So if you're reading this message, right, if you're reading into it, self-assess. So if you're listening to this and, and you're nodding your head, knowing this is you, there's some ideas to help you delegate so you can go back to doing your job, which was to lead. Number one, you've got to be willing to let go. As a leader, it's important to understand that others aren't going to do the same thing the same way at every turn. They're individuals with different personalities and talents. So they will make decisions and function in unique ways. You can have a standard way to do things, such as an assembly line, right? There has to be some room for individuality. Maybe surprised to find that in some cases, your employees or volunteers will come up with some new innovative ways to do something better than what you thought. How about that? Choose the right people. That's number two. One essential element of delegating is choosing the right people. For the position. Having a good grasp of people's strengths and weaknesses and talents will help you place them in a position to make them prosper. Because that's what we want. We want everybody to prosper. I've seen leaders that put people in positions so they fail. That sucks. When you have good people in place, you can relax and allow them to do their job. Number three, you got to have clear directions for the roles of each person in order to avoid chaos and confrontation. Great idea to delegate clearly. Each position should know what their job entails as well as any time there would be a crossover with other positions. Set expectations. This will keep things running smoothly and assure that each part of the work flow is covered. It also makes it easier to tell who isn't contributing when something isn't going well. How about that? A lot of leaders that don't put this into effect just beat everybody right that's the old saying i used to work at a place way back in the day and the saying was the beatings will continue until morale improves because they couldn't identify where the weak link was so they were just going to punish everybody avoid the temptation to do it yourself and work on communicating your ideas to your staff they can't perform when they don't know what they're expected to do so what's your leadership style 
not everybody leads in the same way. Your personality and experience are going to be a big influence on your leadership style. But not every style is as effective as the other. So on this podcast, you'll learn about different leadership styles and which are the most successful. So in 1939, psychologist, his name was Kurt Lewin, led a team of researchers that identified three leadership styles. In the study, they decided to divide a school, all the children, they divided into three groups for an art project. They gave each group a different kind of leader. The titles he gave for the different leaders were this. Laissez-faire, democratic, and authoritarian. In laissez-faire leadership, the leader was very hands-off. They gave limited direction, didn't delegate, and offered very little feedback. Second group was led by the democratic leader. In this group, they helped guide things more and gave praise or criticism to aid progress. The authoritarian leader oversaw everything and managed every finite detail. In this group, they gave criticism, but no praise. And they allowed zero input from the students. The results were quite interesting. They found that in the authoritarian leadership, they noted that the children tended to act more aggressively towards each other, but were very submissive to their leader. They also demanded more attention from the leader. Now, the Democratic group, 19 of the 20 participants said they liked the Democratic leader more. They noted that the leader worked alongside them and gave them plenty to do and wasn't too strict. The children were more productive under the authoritarian leadership, but the quality of the work was better under the Democratic leader. So in the final group, the laissez-faire, the children were the least productive. They were also demanding of their leader and struggled to work independently or cooperatively. So when they asked them, seven out of ten participants preferred the laissez-faire leadership over the authoritarian one. So it may not be very surprising in your eyes that the study found that the democratic leadership was the most successful. This brings a balance of leader-led and participant-led contributions guidance, but also allowing room for independent thought. There's some common styles of leadership. The style only shows three types of leadership, but many other styles are out there. Authoritarian, autocratic, right? This type of leadership requires a great deal of input from the leader and very little from the participants or the employees. This type of leadership works best when the leader knows a great deal about the subject and the workers know very little and therefore their input is not necessary. Now, this type of leadership can also be beneficial when decisions must be made quickly and don't rely on a teamwork style of contribution. This would be not advisable for the most situations or a permanent type of leadership as it's likely to lead to tension, frustration, and aggression among the followers. You see that in governments. Now, democratic or the participative leadership, they call it, 
That leadership model, the leader participates in the project, offers praise or criticism then when necessary and allows input from others. Under democratic leadership, people often feel like they're offering a contribution and they feel valuable. They feel valuable to the team and that they're part of the decision-making process. Now, there are drawbacks to this design as well. 